The Old Testament reading has some pretty grandiose promises for the Davidic king, especially in the minds of an Israelite or someone from Judah going through captivity to Babylon. It says that there's going to be a day when they're not even going to remember what it was like. Not even, well, not even not remember, but go ahead and remember the deliverance from Egypt. Go ahead and remember that. But in your day, you're going to be able to say, God has delivered us out of that north country. A contemporary deliverance to the contemporary audience by the contemporary preacher, Jeremiah. Speaks of the reign as a king, about this king dealing wisely and executing justice and righteousness in the land. Judah saved, Israel secure. And his name, the Lord is our righteousness. Well, how about now? Where's our contemporary preacher? With the contemporary deliverance. The one that we can say, oh yeah, we know about Egypt. We know about that Babylonian captivity. We know about the deliverance and the return from there. And here's our deliverance. Here's the salvation that God has worked for us. Our Lord Jesus, the Davidic king of Joseph and Mary, he arrives in Jerusalem in the gospel reading. Sort of a strange way to start a church year. Coronation before a birth. Palm Sunday before the nativity scene even has a baby in it. <laughs> but the wise men and the magi are already there, right? Fun. We don't know what to do with stuff. <laughs> Just forgive us and exercise grace, right? <laughs> Anywho. But what a scene. Palm Sunday. Right on, right on in majesty, all glory, loud and honor. The, the palms are laid down, the, the donkey is procured, right, and marches in. The gospel and the prophet both tell us to pay attention. Behold, look at this, think about it. And when we do look at this and think about it, we can go really into the depths here and ponder the mystery that Jesus would come to Jerusalem in this way. But what's not included is verse 10 in our gospel reading. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. They're excited. And they say, who is this? If you've ever been in a Bible study with me, you know that I crave adverbs, but the scripture doesn't give them. How do they say, who is this? It's an interesting question. Well, and how do they answer it? <coughs> Excuse me. The crowd say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. <coughs> ah, Okay. Tell me more about him, though. Who is that? Just in case we weren't listening. <coughs> You'll just have to suffer through this, too. Sorry. <laughs> Not only his sermon, but gross coughing. Excuse me. Who is Jesus? It's a great question. Big question. The biggest question. It's a question that gets asked throughout the scriptures. 
It's an interesting question. So if he is the Christ, if he is the Lord, if he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? How do we welcome him rightly? Stand when the chorus is played. Stand and give attention, right? I suppose you can think of meeting anybody who's important, any dignitary or any formal meeting, even when the boss comes in. You don't want to look like a slob, but guess what? The sad fact of the matter is, is that we are slobs, and that when Jesus shows up, we have every right to be embarrassed at how we look, over what we've thought, what we've said, and what we've done. And over all the good that's been placed before us to do, that we can say, yeah, I've I've left a lot of those boxes unchecked, God. That's on me. But maybe we also can say, if we know the dignitary is coming, the King of kings and Lord of lords, (coughs) and we should dress up. We should properly attire ourselves. Perhaps have a gift for the king. And one might say, well, what does the king need this for? He's got everything, right? So which one's right? Well, I suppose if you answer it like, well, we'll dress ourselves up and we'll, we'll present our works to him and we'll show him that we, we really loved him and that we really cared and that we're going to earn a right standing before him and show him, well, that's just all wrong. And if we're solely to be embarrassed and just slovenly, and so we just say, well, let's just be slovenly then. That's not the right answer then either, is it? But I suppose if you, in, if you hear those answers rightly, then they can be both good answers. No matter how well we dress ourselves up, we have every right to be embarrassed over our sin. But that doesn't change the fact that he has given us things to do. Not to earn our salvation. And it's not like he needs a gift from us. But it's still proper. It's still good, right, and salutary. To show appropriate honor. But back to that question. Who is this? I mean, think of the donkey that day. I don't know what donkeys think. They're probably just like, Grass, 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 food, 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 the whole time. But if they were to kind of were to kind of personify them in some way, even Balaam's donkey would be jealous of that donkey for fame and honor. This is the most well-known donkey of all time. Right? And does the donkey know? Where's that Christmas carol? Donkey, did you know? Right? I'm still waiting for it. I don't think I'll get my wish this year again. (laughs) But anywho. It's an interesting that scripture, though, is silent on this one. It's absolutely silent. We don't have one over there, but I'm sure it's probably in the narthex. Donkeys always show up around Christmas time. You think of a donkey with Mary going to Bethlehem. You think of a donkey while Joseph is knocking on the chamber door, the indoor, saying, please, do you have any vacancy tonight, right? But there's no mention of any donkey in Scripture, yet we don't think anything of it. 
We just kind of put the donkey there, going to Egypt, flying and fleeing away there. The donkey's always there. Well, does the donkey ask the question, who is this? And why do we connect the donkey to Christmas if we're not... I think it's because we've just forever read the Palm Sunday narrative on the first Sunday in Advent. That a donkey brought the king in. And here's the king born in the manger. And the donkey's there. And as we look at that donkey, we know palm branches will be placed before it. As our king came, humbly and low, born in a manger, the king came to go to Jerusalem to die. Who is this then, the people ask, as the king does come to them and they lay their palm branches and cloaks down, etc. How do they ask this question? Who is this? I mean, I suppose let's just try and answer it in three ways. This isn't an exhaustive list. Come up with your own. But they can ask this question ignorantly, just out of pure ignorance, neutral ignorance. They don't know. They're just inquisitive. Something's going on. Something's astir in Jerusalem today. Who is it? Who's this guy? Who will answer? And what will be said? You know, think about that. People are asking that question today. Who is Jesus? And what answer do we, as Jesus' witnesses, give? Do we give a good answer? Do we just stay silent? Not supposed to talk about these things in the world today. We are called to be God's witnesses and to have a true missionary zeal for those. And Christ at the cross answers the ignorant question. He acknowledges that some people ask this in ignorance when he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Another way to answer this question, or ask this question, excuse me, is spitefully. Who is this? Who is this? Away with him, right? This is no fulfillment of all that excellent, grandiose, king of kings and lord of lords stuff of Jeremiah 23. Come on. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is how God works. And it's a question that's still posed today by many. Shouldn't God be better than this? Shouldn't he make it more clear if he's God? Come on, God. Well, it's a question that shows mankind's rejection of the true king. Christ knows that you ask this question, world, right? He knows, and he weeps over Jerusalem for asking the question. He knows the destruction, the gnashing of teeth, the weeping that is coming for those who reject him. And he doesn't want people to reject him, but foolishly into their own eternal torment they do. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. They have the world's embrace for now, but they will not have their Lord and Master's embrace for eternity. Unbelievers, though, keep on going on with the accusation 
right up into eternal death and right at the judgment seat of Christ itself. And they say, Lord, when? When did we see you? The question that they ask in spite now, and they'll be full of that spite forever. And it's sad. Who is this? This question can be asked in absolute wonder and amazement, treasuring the mystery that's before us. A question that's growing, ever growing in our faith, because there's always something more to know and to cherish about this king that comes in such a strange way, humble and gentle. How is it granted to me that my Lord should come this way? You think Mary didn't think about that when Elizabeth was saying, how is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary says, well, how is it granted to me (laughs) that the Lord should be right there? Right? And how is it granted to us? I mean, this is the stuff of fairy tales, and this is why they're so enchanting and wonderful, right? You see the, the wonderful, you know, the beautiful prince in all of his armor, but then what does he do? He trades out those armor clothes and those kingly gowns, and he puts on the clothes of a pauper to see if the bride will truly love him for who he is. He's a beast to see if he's even lovable as a beast. And here we have the Davidic king, the Lord of Lords, laid in a manger. Oh Jesus, so sweet. Oh Jesus, so mild. For sinners you became a child. And do we note and do we ponder during this season of Advent? Oh my. We want signs, we want wisdom, yet Christ comes lowly and with the preaching of the cross. He doesn't ride in on the war horse, just the donkey. Mankind seeks to control God, to betray God, to escape God, and to judge God, and finally just to kill God off. But God will have none of that, and He won't die. He came, born of Mary, Road to Jerusalem, orchestrated it all. Go in, find the guy. He'll give you the donkey. Say the Lord has need of him. And he knows what's going to happen as he goes into Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die there. He orchestrated it all, promised it all, foretold it all. This is his will for you and for all mankind that we would be saved in this way. It's all his will while our, our wills were rebelling. And it's no different now for you and for me. God comes for you. Uninvited. Unexpected. In ways that we probably question His coming and say, is this really God working? Is it? God comes into your life, invited or not often in low, humble, hard, and broken times that have you asking, is God really working? Where in the world is God? Where are you? When you're asking that question, the answer you already know. 
God is content to reside on your bookshelf, awaiting your reading. In sound waves floating across the air to hammer into your ear, convicting you of your sin and restoring and refreshing you with his good news. See, God comes in such humble and low ways, for his power truly is made perfect in weakness. And so we pray, as we prayed in the college, stir up your power and come. Protect us and rescue us from our sins. Save us, deliver us, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, then. Come, Lord Jesus, in your power, weak as it appears to this world. Come in your word and your bread and your wine. Come in your body and blood. Take away our sins and our shame. Don't let reason, the world, the devil, ruin how I answer the question, who is this? And how I ask the question, who is this? Instead, keep me marveling. How is it granted to me that my Lord should come to me? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. Work in my life and the life of my friends and my family. And we're even bold enough to say, make me like that donkey. Use me as a beast of burden, if you will, again, so that I may bring you to them. And let me behold and believe your will and your work in my life, that I can not only tell of what you did of old, of Egypt, of Babylon, and Jerusalem, and Calvary. But I may also tell what you've done for me right here, Pensacola, but not even just Pensacola, like geographically. It's too impersonal. That I may tell of what you have done for me in my life to rescue me, to deliver me, to forgive me of my wicked sins. So that I would pray boldly, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I would look forward to the day when I will see you face to face. The Lord Jesus is your righteousness. Your righteousness is not your own, but he gives you his. That's his name. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.